This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookings with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. Ruth, what have you got for us? Well, I've week? got a fascinating crime novel, which is a comic novel, really, till about three quarters of the way through. And I thought, it's called She's a Killer. Well, there's no killer in sight. And <laughs> ah. I thought, I've got the wrong, she's got the wrong title. But it all happens. And... Uh, it's um, it's 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 different and it's great. Yes, Kirsten McDougall is mm. a great writer. Mm. She sure is. And another great writer is uh, Christchurch um, science fiction fantasy writer AJ Fitzwater, who has just um, published their first novella. A thunk of hooves on grass. One of the horses must have wandered over to investigate. Big ears flicking, a long, sandy-coloured head eased out of the dark, nodding over short-stop legs. A relieved giggle burst from T's lips. I didn't know the McGregors have a donkey. She stroked the soft petals of the donkey's nose, and like the other farm animals, it didn't shy away. They don't. Izzy propped her chin along the L of her fingers, elbow on knee. A bit of a wanderer, hey? What's your name, honey? Izzy eyed the donkey, and it bobbed its head like the silly animal was giving Izzy permission. It's Grant, Izzy said. You named the donkey after Grant? That's mean. T reached out for a reassuring pat, but the dirty soft face wasn't there. No, said a quiet, pinched voice. I am Grant. T gave a little screech. The boy eased between them, reaching for the billy. Was he, was he naked? T leapt up. Where did you come from? Where did the donkey go? Where are your clothes? T, sit down, Izzy ordered, refreshing a mug and holding it up. No, you tell me what's going on here now, or I'm going straight to Mr McGregor. T shook as she gave the order. She'd never been so straightforward. It wasn't very ladylike. Izzy shrugged and passed a blanket and a tin plate of leftover damper to Grant. Here, eat up. Changing quick must hurt. Oh, it does. Grant tugged the blanket around himself, flexed his red-knuckled hands and glanced sideways up at T. He shoved the damper in his mouth like he hadn't eaten his fill of dinner. Come on, T. Sit down. I'm not going to bite. I thought you went to the dance. T kept on her feet, out of sheer perversity. Grant wouldn't hit her, no, as he might, if she followed through with her threat. Grant shook his head and kept shoveling in food. Where did it all go on a body that was all bones? Grant gave Izzy a look T couldn't comprehend, something old and weary. I thought you were going to do it, he sighed. Fine, hold on. T backed away a step. An eel splashed in the creek. With a creak like the nor'wester through the pines, Izzy's flesh and bones folded inwards. Fur as black as her hair sprung along her spine, spreading rapidly over her hands and feet. Fingers and toes coalesced into claw-tipped paws. The star freckles of her nose scattered into the bib and paws of the dog that had been following tea that first day. 
Izzy's mouth opened wide in a toothy dog grin, and her pink tongue rolled out along the bitter, along with the bittersweet scent that had dogged tea all week. The scent of starlight. T slapped her hands to her mouth to hold bile and scream in. Dear God in heaven, she whispered, you're a weird wolf. T, we're... The word Izzy said through her fearsome mouth was too mangled for T's comprehension. It frightened her. It sounded Māori. Like you are, Grant said, trying to sound reassuring, but T could only taste in her mind's eye the white skin he hid under the blanket, the animal he hid inside himself. For some strange reason, the power runs in your family. Izzy powered, padded forward as if to greet her anew, and that was it for a tea. Slipping on the crackled dry grass, she turned and ran back towards the only other light for miles around. That was Christchurch writer A.J. Fitzwater reading from No Man's Land, their World War II land girl's shapeshifter novella. AJ has won four Sir Julius Vogel Awards, no mean feat, has been widely published and is one of the 2021 Arts Creatives in Residency at the Christchurch Arts Centre. They are also a guest curator at the upcoming Word Festival. AJ, what a busy year you're having. It's It's been a very odd year, Um I had planned to write my next novel and then the opportunity for the residency came up. So in the midst of everything going very strange with the pandemic, I got this big boost for my career and work-wise it's been a fabulous year. Well, yes, I can imagine a a lockdown is is just what you need. Yeah, well, um, for three weeks um, during the residency, um, we were in lockdown, so we had to bubble. And um, I was lucky enough to be able to go back to my own home, have my cat, have my bed. But I got a lot of work done when I couldn't do anything else. Tell me about your interest in land girls because this is a this is a wonderful period and a very little known period mm. of the war in New Zealand. Mm. Well, um, it came about one day I was just browsing through Smith's Bookshop at the Tannery, and um, at the time I was um, in, in the midst of thinking about lost women's history, feminist history, feminist science fiction, and I came across this book which was an oral history of the land girls of. New Zealand during World War II, written by Dr. Diane Bardsley, and it's called In a Man's World. And the cover immediately sprang out at me, and it was like, oh, I can write a story about that. And and No Man's Land, the um, the different connotations in that name came to me immediately. And I I immediately knew I wanted to write something set in New Zealand, um, because I wanted to write about the sense and the senses of New Zealand that does and often make it into science fiction. Um, and I wanted to write something about a, a lost women's history. And, of course, I wanted to put in queer characters because that's what I do. Those are, those are the things I like to write about. And it just kind of all very easily coalesced into the story. 
set in central Otago and you have mm. an affiliation with that area yes. as well, don't yes. you? Yes, um, I have family who live down there. Um, well, they did live down there. They live in um, North Otago now. But uh, my mother-in-law was very helpful in talking me through some things of the period because um, she was using the trains going to school in Dunedin at the time. So I was able to have a lot of detail about the, the trains and, and, and the farming in the area at the time. Well, that's what struck me as I read it, such an extraordinary sense of place and um, a very poetic way of describing the the landscape mm. and and how it impacts on the characters. Mm. Mm. But Absolutely. there's fi fire in there, which mm. is a Māori term. Tell me about that. The, um, that is used to describe um, their magic. Um, there is shape-shifting magic, animal shape-shifters. And this is not a new um, idea in fantasy, but I wanted to put the New Zealand twist on it. Um, and the idea of shape-shifting comes from Tanifa. And so uh, T, the main character in this, um, shape-shifts into an eel, which they associate with Tanifa. Uh, we also have Grant, who turns into a donkey, as you heard, and Izzy, who turns into a border collie, who is... Um, the sort of ubiquitous dog on on New Zealand farms. And um, there's also another type of shape-shifting, which I won't give away. Um, That's T's brother, Robbie. That's um, the the big um, spoiler at the end, so I won't talk about that. It comes from um, the the Māori heritage that T discovers she also has as well. And No Man's Land has uh, another connotation, not just the farm where Mm. the land girls are, Mm. so they're... You know, it's a no man, well, very few men. Very few men at the time. (laughs) But no man's land relates to another part of the story. story. Yes, um, I'll try not to give away too many spoilers, but um, they do end up magically at the front because it's a very, very long way away. But um, they they end up in the midst of a battle, which is the the, the big... um, the, the big ending. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting playing with the, the different connotations of that um, no men on the land in New Zealand and in the midst of no man's land while there's a battle going on. And their shape-shifting um, abilities, you know, feed into how they're able to yes, to yes. assist in the narrative, shall we say. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to, um, like I was talking about um, the senses of um, the New Zealand countryside, um, a lot of that has to do with our waterways. Um, so I was exploring um, in- environmentalism as well and-, and how they are attracted to and use the waterways on the farm. And and that plays into their magic and how they can travel magically through through the waterways of the world, and that's also a, a theme that has come up in my in my novel that I'm writing at the moment. So it's a it's a big connection the environmentalism, um, in, in my work. Yes. Is that a, is that coming out in other people's um, science fiction speculative fiction? Yes, yes, absolutely. There is a. Um, a, a, a big move towards um, climate fiction and uh, one of my press mates, Octavia Cade, she um, writes in, in environmentalist fiction or cli-fi as they call it. And um, yeah, you can see a lot of talk about New Zealand's dystopian move towards um, climate change and that sort of work. You, you also um, talked about... Um, the, well, not the ability, but but being able to use a Māori perspective brings a whole other 
uh, level to the work you're doing and and its international yes. um, reading I, readers. I'm not um, Māori myself, but I had a sensitivity reader who helped me out with that and um, all, my, all mistakes of my own um, <laughs> if, if people bring it up. Um, but yes, it, it's absolutely important because the, the Māori girls were definitely part of the land girls as well and that's part of the history get, that gets lost as, as well. And, and I wanted to take all these little bits and pieces and and, and, and take it to an um, international audience because I, I feel it's very important that, that New Zealand science fiction and fantasy finds its place overseas and, and also within New Zealand because that's a conversation I'm, I'm trying to do, bring together um, New Zealand literary conversations along with genre conversations and how they absolutely do cross over. And this may be part of what you're doing as guest curator yes. at the Word Festival. A lot of changes because of postponements and cancellations, but I do. I am doing one event in the revised programme um, with Karen Healy. We're talking about world building at the bottom of the world um, and, and how New Zealand looking outwards contributes to um, the international genre scene. Well, good luck, and I hope plenty of people come and and, um, take part in that because it'll be really interesting. Thank you. And I hope a lot of people will pick up your book because I really enjoyed it uh, for all sorts of reasons. The book is called No Man's Land. It's by A.J. Fitzwater, and it's published by Paper Road Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Kirsten McDougall's previous novels are Tess in 2017, long-listed for the Ockham New Zealand Book Awards and short-listed for the Nio Marsh Award and The Invisible Rider in 2012. Her stories and non-fiction have appeared in so many uh, landfall, sport, uh, great New Zealand non-fiction, 2016. So um, she has already got quite a, um, a variety of uh, records there. She was a recipient of the 2013 Creative New Zealand Louis Johnson New Writers Bursary and a Michael King Writers Centre residency in 2019 when she wrote this book, and she lives in Wellington. Congratulations to all those things that you seem to be doing, Kirsten. You're hard to keep um, catch up with. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. <laughs> I, Elizabeth Knox said about um, this book that uh, is called She's a Killer. Equipped with an exhilaratingly badly behaved protagonist, She's a Killer builds from a slice of very strange life into a thriller by way of a succession of stunning comic set pieces. You'll laugh a lot and then you'll cry and be really surprised about it since you were laughing so much. And that's exactly how I felt when I read this. So um, no clues in the first half that anybody's going to be killed or be a murderer. Um, Apart from the title. Apart from the title. And I I thought, have I got the wrong book? <laughs> have I got? Has she put the wrong title on this book? And uh, then yeah. it, it all happens. So um, it's set in Wellington. Contemporary themes: the themes of climate change, immigration issues. I love the word you used: wealthy UGs. Wealthy Jew. That's quite hard to say. Wealthy Wealth UGs. <laughs> yes. yes. Rich coming to New Zealand, uh, fear of the end of the world, shortages, inequity, violence. 
violence, riots in Palmerston North, would you believe, and quirky characters, which I love about your writing. So um, it, it's quite, I mean, it, it's believable. That's the awful thing um, that I kept thinking, gosh, we've got a pandemic, but, you know, say you were in a pandemic that didn't ever stop, and I began to be, feel a bit like Amy, who was very um, fearful, her good friend from school days, so quirky characters, I, I just love your characters. They're all dealing with unexpected situations and they were laugh out loud situations in the first half of the novel. Um, and it, yes, I, as I said, uh, is there ever going to be anyone killed? Now, you've got a narrator whose name we never know who works in the university taking enrolments and uh, she has... Um, She'd no name, and she lives in the bottom story of her mother's house. Not much communication with her mother. Uh, she's um, a genius level. Um, her IQ is 1959. Um, nine, no, 159, one yes. But she's, she's one point just one below point. That's um, right. genius level, which is sort of her own personal tragedy. And she's someone who really um, has... has held a lot of promise but has never fulfilled it and this is something that her mother sort of holds o over her um, yeah she's, she's unfulfilled and she's a sl I mean she's described on the blurb as a slacker she's not named in the novel but um, and actually the, her name is probably the last decision I made about the novel um, my publisher Fergus Barrowman at Victoria University Press said we cannot write the words unnamed narrator on the back cover Kirsten you have to give her a name even for the back cover so on the back cover we've called her Alice but it's, her name is never mentioned oh I didn't even realise that <laughs> no. no well you you wouldn't because you you know you don't you don't read the blurb no. of the book right. Um, yeah, so um, we can refer to her as Alice just so we don't have to um, say unnamed narrator every time. <laughs> right, but I actually, I never named her um, Ruth because I really wanted her to sort of, I mean, she's an unusual character, but I wanted her to stand in for sort of everyone who's a bit, well, not a bit, we're all um, very unsure how we should act um, in terms of climate change, you know, we can all make small decisions about, well, I'll take the public transport or I'll ride a bike, um, I won't eat meat. Not that Alice, our um, narrator, you know, makes any of these decisions. But um, so I sort of wanted her to go unnamed so she could stand in. She also, from, from, in my mind, she stands in her sort of slacker behaviour, her refuser behaviour, the way she will not face any of the um, chaos that's in her life caused by these wealthy Gs coming to New Zealand because of, you know, they're escaping the climate apocalypse. That kind of refusal, um, in my mind, stands in for uh, the ways in which governments and, and large multinational um, businesses are refusing to take real action when it comes to climate change. So... Yeah. Yes, I, I liked. I, I thought that was very clever to have her doing that and be like that because she didn't seem to have any motivation or very. She'd got to the stage where she had no strong feelings about anything, did she? No, well, that's right. And I think that it's actually when you're faced with um, even the situation we're in now, where um, you know it really is going to take 
the likes of China, America, Russia, mm. Europe to make some very, very big decisions before the rest of the world falls in line. And if those big countries don't make changes and stop using fossil fuels, nothing is going to change. It doesn't matter if I stop eating meat or you stop eating meat. That's not going to change diddly squat. No, exactly. So it can actually make you feel very um, disempowered and you think, well, what's the point? What is the point in doing anything? So that's Alice. I mean, you know, I, I think it's a lot. My, a lot of us feel like that. Yeah. Mm. Well, and, and that's not how I act, or actually what no. I believe. Like I'm far more optimistic, hopeful person than Alice. So oh, I yes. just wanted to push her to that sort of extreme. Um, yes. Extreme. Mm. And she's an extreme character. She does. She wacky, is. You know, she does wacky stuff. She. She acts out. She's badly behaved. Yes. You know? And yeah. what's wrong with that? What's <laughs> <laughs> fun? It was so much fun to write here. Well, I, tell you. <laughs> I liked the idea that you brought back Simp, uh, her imaginary childhood friend, um, and who was her inner voice. And she hasn't yes. been in touch with Alice since she was seven or eight. And um, so she comes back into her life. And so we really learn a lot about Alice through Simp. Yeah, so Simp comes back um, on, on page one, and um, Simp is yeah is an imaginary friend, a sort of voice in her head, um, and Simp, I suppose, is the one thing that makes Alice reasonable. Um, Simp, I guess Simp, you know, tries is, is the voice in her head that tries to. Uh, reason with her or um, sort of remind her that she is a human being and should have empathy because Alice doesn't have a lot of empathy. No, no. Um, yeah, and she's someone who actually doesn't have any friends. She's got one person she calls her friend, Amy, a very middle-class woman married to um, an architect. Amy's just really concerned about the number of steps she's done every day, how much weight she's lost yes. and how she's homeschooling her children and how they're doing in their tennis. And how she's preparing for bunking down. Pretty much, she, Amy and her husband are uh, sort of rich survivalists. So, um, and she's not really um, Alice's friend at all. I mean, you see, no, you no. see that collapse of their relationship That's right. um, as as the book goes on. Yeah, so Simp's kind of really, um, you know, made up, but is Alice's only friend. Yes. Well, <laughs> can I quote? Um, she was executive of my heart. She was like my hand was part of my body. Like my legs could move without even thinking about them. Simpson just was. <laughs> and yeah. I, that was yeah. a lovely description of Simpson. Of Simp, I mean. Yeah. Um, I mustn't yeah. call her Simpson. But, um, yeah. yes. And then um, we have Pedro, a Chinese um, student who comes to the university where she works on en in enrolments. Um, boring job and with her IQ. And uh, he's a wealth UG and he wants to know where the course in Russian literature is because he wants to... Um, He's wanting to make changes, and he's charming, and um, she's an observer, isn't she? And he's more an activist type, and um, mm. and he. Um, I don't want to tell too much about him or anybody yeah. after this. <laughs> yeah. But again, um, where you know you ask, and, and I thought towards the end of the book, 
um, when do when the action starts and it's mm. very page turning at the end, mm. and we won't mention what happens and who is mm. involved. And you ask a lot of challenging questions: Are we powerless within our systems? Uh, e- economics built on activities um, uh, that harm us: water we drink or air we breathe. Too stuck to see how we might do things differently. Do you believe mm. we're getting to that stage? Now, with oh, the pandemic, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you said you said at the beginning of the interview that you know all of this seems like you know quite plausible, and it's set a few years from now. Yes, um, I suppose what I'm doing in the book is painting a possible projection. I mean, in the book, the government has allowed these refugees. That's what that's what everyone's calling them refugees. Rich elites from other countries who will pay their way into New Zealand. And in the book, New Zealand isn't suffering climate change quite as badly. It's still pretty bad here in the book, but yes. um, it's not as bad as other countries. So, um, you know, I, I I would really hope that come some sort of and I, and I hope it doesn't get to this, but come some sort of breakdown in other countries. We don't just take wealthy people. And it, handily for my plot, I set it up that the country was in debt due to the last pandemic. <laughs> so yes. I, did men- I do mention the pandemic. You do. But, um, I'm, I, I guess, um, you know, I have I have two, two parts of me, and I think this is the same way with a lot of people. Part of me... It's very, it feels very gloomy, and probably why I wrote the book, um, when I don't see change being made, and every year the um, uh, you know carbon emissions are rising, the, the particles are part of particles per million. I cannot remember uh, the scientific name for it, um, but you know um, the carbon's still rising. We're still relying on petrol, um, you know. Currently, we're looking at the, all these shipping problems, you know, mm. and which to me has really highlighted how much stuff we move around the world. Do we really need to do that? You know, it seems so inefficient to me that we grow trees in New Zealand, we ship them over to China to be chipped and made into boxes, and we ship the boxes back to New Zealand, we pack stuff in and then ship them off somewhere else. Yes, it's, crazy, it's, it's, crazy. It's, it's like a mad person has mm. come up with the idea on how to run our economies, and it's not good for the environment. So, Part of me feels very gloomy some days, and another part of me, I'm like, no, we can solve this. Look at how we've dealt with the pandemic. Look at how we've dealt with many things mm. in our past, that with wars and, and things like this. But the problem with climate change is that it's this very long, slow um, event, and we've never been faced with anything of its magnitude. So, um, but we have to act. We actually have, have to, to act. act now. So, you know, I create fiction, I guess, that looks at one one way we might go. And I really hope New Zealand never goes the way. No, I, I, I'm an optimist. Yes, I'm an optimist too. But it's so... Um, you have to be. You, yes. You actually have to be. And that's why you use humour as well, Ruth, because um, it's, it's actually the book, if this book didn't use humour, it would be very... Gloomy book. Oh yes, very, no, yeah. too gloomy. But, no, I, the fun yeah. fun part is so good, and the the um, last part is just well, you know, smack bang. Yeah. And I yeah. and that was also um, 
different too. And so it's a crime novel, but it's not a crime novel to me. It's much more about no. the environment and um, climate change and all the decisions we need to make now. So look for yeah. She's a Killer by Kirsten McDougall. It's published by Victoria University Press. Thanks, Kirsten. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.